here's a great example. You're in a, a very simple example. You're in a, you're, you want to get home to watch a game or you want to get home because you want to be with your kids. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's a traffic jam when you didn't expect mm-hmm. there to be a traffic jam. And suddenly now you're unhappy. Why are you unhappy? You're unhappy because you expected and want to be at home, but now you're in a traffic jam. Mm-hmm. So now two choices, right? I can choose to be unhappy or I can say, can I change this? The answer is no. Therefore, I do the mantra. You know, my happiness is not connected to what's happening. I have to choose to be happy in this moment, not to be in resistance. So now I say, how can I enjoy this ride home? I'm going to listen to some good music. I'm going to listen to Ryan's podcast. You know, (laughs) in other words, I see what I mean. That's a simple example. And now just play that out in everything that Mm -hmm. might be happening in your life. And I think you begin to get the picture. What is going on, my friends? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing it down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets. And I'm here with you every single week, just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. If you love the show, then please go online, rate and review the show. When you do, send a screen capture of your rating of your review to podcastryancalajuri.com. If you're listening on Spotify or SoundCloud and you can't leave a rating or review, then just send me some comments by email to podcastryancalajuri.com. Let me know how much you love the show. Let me know how you're tuning in. Let me know how it's changing your life. And I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every quarter for a prize. And if you've already done that, then don't worry. You're already entered in the draw for the prize. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you're going to connect with me on any of them, LinkedIn and Instagram, that's where I'm most prevalent and you'll see more updates from me almost on a daily basis. So if you like what I'm putting down, you might like what uh, what else is going on in the background. So give me a follow there. And last but not least, don't forget to go to CutTheCrapPodcast.com and at the very top is summaries. Put in your information and I'll make sure you get the summaries from Cut the Crap Podcast every single week into your inbox. And like I say every week, I'm only going to send them out periodically just because I don't want to bombard your inbox. But I do want to make sure you have access to those. So get on there and uh, sign up for those. All right. What do we got going on this week? So this week we have John Izzo on the show and we're talking about his book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. And I absolutely love this book. I say that every single week, but there's certain books that relate to sales, to marketing, to HR, to culture, to leadership, whatever. This is foundational kind of stuff in that you need to know this. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You're a human being. As a human being who wants to be happy every single day, you need to understand what John wrote in this book. As John and I go through the five thieves of happiness, you understand that there's certain pieces in our life that we focus on or we don't focus enough on or we focus too much on. And it's holding us back from truly being happy. And in this interview and reading this book, I learned so many different aspects of happiness that really surprised me. And I think certain elements here might surprise you too. So I really enjoy this interview. I love John's energy and I got to get him back on the show talking about some of his other books. But this one to me was, was truly a gem. And I truly believe this book is going to have an impact on your life perhaps, but definitely so many lives out there who are listening today. And I encourage all of you to do people in your network a favor. Share this episode with them. Let them know what this episode's about. And honestly, just share it with your friends, your family, your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads, your coworkers, because all of this information in this book today, in this summary, is relevant to all of us. And the best thing that I think we can do is share this information with people that we love. 
So anyways, without further ado, let's crack right into this one. This is John Izzo's book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Ryan. Well, it's fantastic having you here. Thanks so much for making time for myself and everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. And for people maybe, John, who don't know who you are yet, maybe give us a little bit of a background in terms of uh, what you do and uh, why you wrote the book in the first place. Well, you know, I spent the last uh, 25 years of my life uh, traveling all over the world trying to uh, help uh, leaders and individuals uh, be more intentional about the lives that they're living, find more happiness, add more value, and build more successful businesses. And so, you know, this particular book uh, really grew out of a sabbatical that I took uh, four years ago now, uh, almost four years ago, where I took uh, almost a year off from any paid work, from my speaking, consulting, and business, uh, walked the Camino in Spain, uh, spent... Uh, uh, three months uh, in the Andes of Peru, and uh, this book really uh, came out of my own uh, stepping back to saying what really mattered and, 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 and how could I find an even deeper happiness. So that's, it really was a very personal journey for me that led to this book. Absolutely. Having just that quiet time, that opportunity to reflect, I, I always find that super important. I don't think we do that enough today. We're so connected, and it's very difficult for us to actually break away and to have some of that quiet time, man. We can give, get some of our deepest thoughts. And obviously, the proof is in the pudding with yourself as you've come up with this awesome concept. And I truly love this book. And uh, I know that uh, all of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, you're going to really love this one too if you haven't read it yet. But uh, John, let's just crack right into this one because we have seven golden nuggets, so we have lots to talk about today. So the first golden nugget to achieve true happiness and long-term contentment, disconnect your sense of happiness from happenings. That was an interesting quote from the book, and I'd love you to maybe dig a little bit deeper into that one for us. Well, you know, one of the fascinating things, the, uh, the English word happiness actually comes from uh, the uh, uh, old uh, English word hap, as in happenstance. Hmm. And so it doesn't take long to make the connection. The idea is, well, I'll be happy if I have good happenings in my life. It's almost like an accident. If things are going well, I'm happy. If they're not going well, then I won't be happy. Uh, and yet we all know intuitively that happiness is actually an internal construct. We know this because we know people who have very few uh, good things happening in their life, but somehow seem happy and centered. And we know other people who have all kinds of amazing great things happening uh, from the outside, but seem routinely miserable. Mm. So I think all of us know at some intuitive level that that happiness uh, isn't really about what's happening in our lives. And of course, sustainable happiness always has to be an internal act, an internal construct to choose happiness, to nurture it, and to figure out how to, uh, as I say, stay on that side of the portal, mm. <laughs> no matter what's happening uh, in, in your life. So I think the first thing is we, we really can't find sustainable happiness as long as we see happenings equals happiness. Uh, because it will always be coming and going, no matter what uh, uh, we try to do. Yeah, I find it interesting from the book, and it was a different perspective shift for me, because you said that happiness can endure regardless of life's up and downs, but the problem is that society conditions us to believe that being happy is difficult, when in fact, it's not difficult. It's a natural state. But what do you say to people out there who say, yeah, easier said than done, John. I find it very difficult to be happy. I have to work at it. What, what do you say to those people? Well, uh, yes, we do have to work at it. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that if you really look at very young children, uh, and I've gotten the privilege of traveling all over the world, and, you know, uh, very young children uh, 
whether, unless they're starving or abused, have a kind of natural happiness. Uh, it doesn't take much for them to bounce back from some unhappy moment and, and immediately they're, you know, back in the moment and happy. Uh, and so I do believe our natural state is happiness. Uh, and yet as adults, we often find it hard to come back to to that place. Uh, and yet it does require discipline, the discipline of training yourself for happiness. Uh, and I think this is an idea most people don't really appreciate either. Like we train, uh, you know, mm. ourselves to be good leaders. We train ourselves to do all these tasks or sports or things we do in our lives. But we think, well, happiness will just happen without us training our minds for it. So uh, in many ways, I think it's about training your mind. There's a discipline. But once you do it, then it's not as that difficult. But training the mind, that's the hard part. I like that point. I really do. Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. Pay very close attention to that point right there. We talk about this all the time. And that people like to say, oh, Ryan, you just live life through rosy colored glasses. And I hate when people say that because I have to work every single day at being happy. And I believe it was Jim Rohn who, who said something very similar to, to that effect where, um, you know, motivation doesn't last, right? People say, well, how do you stay so motivated? Motivation doesn't last. That's why they recommend you focusing on, on, on staying motivated every day and doing things that motivate you every day, just like bathing, right? You have to bathe every day to stay clean so you don't smell. The exact same is true with being motivated. The exact same thing is being true for being happy. You have to work at it. And yet we just feel like happiness is is given to us, that we, we, we should be happy. But with all the crap that happens today, whether it's you're, you're watching the news, whether it's, it's drama in your family, bills you have to pay, drama that's happening at work, there's opportunities that really make it difficult for us to, to be happy, essentially. And as these different stimulus come into our lives, we have to work at maintaining a level head, maintaining perspective, and that is hard. But I love what you said there to say that we have to train ourselves to be happy. And a big piece of that too is self-awareness. And that's really what I love about your book here was that it really brought about some important concepts that maybe I didn't think about before. I know for a fact I didn't think about. And Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, I don't, maybe there's certain things here that are going to be new to you as well. So I really want to crack into this because the five thieves of happiness are incredibly compelling. The first one here, golden nugget number two, which is the first thief, control. People's desire to control uncontrollable things destroys their happiness and their internal peace. So John, lead us through the first thief, control. Yeah, and by the way, one of the ideas, I love what you said a, a moment ago, one of the, the, the ways we have to train ourselves is to recognize that if happiness is our natural state, then, then there probably are some thieves who come and rob what, it, what really ought to be ours. Mm. Uh, and so that's why I really framed the book around these thieves, who, by the way, showed up for me as I was walking the Camino. People may not know the Camino is this, you know, uh, a 550-mile pilgrimage mm. from France to the coast in, in Spain that people have been walking for, you know, 1,200 years. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, in, in walking these, you know, 12 to 20 miles every single day hmm. uh, for 33 days, I really be, saw these thieves show up. So the thief of control is very simple, uh, and that is uh, that uh, all of us uh, have to realize that our hap unhappiness almost always comes from the disconnect between what we expected or we want to be happening at any moment and what is actually happening. Or as I say in the book, all internal suffering is resistance to whatever is happening at any moment. And I want to say that again because it's so important. All internal suffering is resistance to whatever is happening at any moment. Mm -hmm. 
And what I mean by that is that since there are things we can control in life, things that we can't, sometimes we wake up in the morning and life gives us exactly what we want, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, If you really think about it, our unhappiness is not what's happening. It's our resistance to whatever's happening and trying to control or make it differently. And that really showed up for me on the Camino where, uh, you know, I wanted to control where I would end my day. Mm. <laughs> and I would get unhappy if I didn't get to the destination I, I, I planned on. Sound familiar, you yeah. know, in our lives? <laughs> uh, but then, you know, maybe my feet were hurting or the weather wasn't good or, you know, something would get in the way. And then I'd get unhappy. Oh, my, I didn't get where I wanted to go. Or I'd have people who I would walk with for a few days. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to walk with these people forever. And then they would have a different intention. You know, they would get up one morning and say, no, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hang out here longer. You go ahead. Mm. And here I thought, oh, these people have become my good friends. And so I was attached to this. And so attachment is a big part of control. We get attached to results. And don't confuse this with having intentions in your life. There's nothing wrong with having goals, you know, a position you want to get or, you know, a way you want a relationship to go. But it's the desire to control it and this unhappiness that comes when it doesn't go exactly the way we want it to. That's the source of unhappiness. Ah, that's right. And, and in the book, you mentioned um, something about Buddha and Buddha's search many, many centuries ago. Uh, one of the reasons that humanity suffers, he came to the realization that acceptance is the secret to peace of mind. And I really love that. And it's tough for people to accept that. And, it's, and people want to control everything. And, and, and this idea of acceptance is very difficult. So what do you say to people out there who have a difficult time accepting things? How do they how do they how do they take control and boot this first thief out of their home for example? Well, you know, one of the things I talk about uh, in the book uh, are are really having mantras or an alternative way of thinking. You know, so for each of the thieves I have a, a mantra you know, that, that one can say, and mantras are very ancient uh, in the spiritual traditions. These are, are words or phrases that we would use over and over again to do what, of course, to train our minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so, you know, in the case of control, it's, you know, I choose to surrender to what's happening right now. I realize my happiness is not connected to the outcome mm-hmm. that I seek. And so it's first, it's just realizing this unhappiness is coming. From, here's a great example. You're in a, a very simple example. You're in a, you're, you want to get home to watch a game or you want to get home because you want to be with your kids. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's a traffic jam when you didn't expect mm-hmm. there to be a traffic jam. And suddenly now you're unhappy. Why are you unhappy? You're unhappy because you expected and want to be at home, but now you're in a traffic jam. Mm-hmm. So now two choices, right? I can choose to be unhappy. Or I can say, can I change this? The answer is no. Therefore, I do the mantra. You know, my happiness is not connected to what's happening. I have to choose to be happy in this moment, not to be in resistance. So now I say, how can I enjoy this ride home? I'm going to listen to some good music. I'm going to listen to Ryan's podcast. You know, (laughs) in other words, I see what I mean. That's a simple example. And now just play that out in everything that mm-hmm. might be happening in your life. And I think you begin to get the picture. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And, and cut the crap podcast nation. You know, I've shared these examples with you before where I've always said this before, where if, if I have a bad day at work, something happens again, this is the idea of you taking control of your own life and, and working on the idea of being happy. Um, when I'm in a car sometimes and I'm sitting there in traffic or I have a really bad day and I'm driving home, I'm sitting in my car and no music's on. The one thought I come into my mind, and, and, and people laugh, they send me emails afterwards telling me, Ryan, it's kind of a morbid thought, but it, it's something that I use that works for me. 
And what I say is, what happens if I don't actually make it home today? What happens if somebody comes blowing through this intersection and this is the last car ride of my life? What am I going to do? All of a sudden I say, well, I'm going to make this the best car ride of, of, of my life. And I'm going to turn mm, up the music. I'm going to start singing. If I'm sitting and I'm not moving, I'm just going to put it in park. I'm going to text my family and say, hey, how's it going? And I'm just going to enjoy the music. I'm going to sing. I'm not going to care about anybody around me. I'm going to enjoy myself. All of a sudden, by just changing that perspective a little bit, my mind frees up. I'm singing. I'm feeling good. And all of a sudden, all those negative emotions that you know I was trying to, oh, I just want to get through traffic. I want to get home. I'm late and whatever gone mm-hmm. gone and it's because you have to actively work at it you have to put these mental exercises in place you have to have mantras in place you have to have certain techniques or tools that you use to change your perspective and it ha- didn't it, it, work for me exactly. right away but it takes time it takes time to do that it really does and and you know uh, two thoughts to what you just said the one is don't confuse this with acceptance i know one of the early reviewers of the book said he was really nervous when he started reading my book because he thought i was going it was going to be like another book to say look it doesn't matter don't uh. have any goals or intentions <laughs> in your life and then he realized no what you were saying is have have attention without tension have yes, yes. intention without attachment right it's not that we shouldn't have goals i want to get home i want to get mm-hmm. that position i want my book to be a bestseller but my happiness is not dependent on it. And the other thing, Ryan, that's important is people might say, well, okay, I think I could do this in a traffic jam. But, but John and Ryan, what about when the toughest things happen in your life? Hmm. And, you know, uh, about a year after I wrote the book, uh, my mother, uh, who was 81, uh, took ill unexpectedly, hmm. pretty much out of the blue. Turned out she had cancer throughout her body. Literally died within a week of me finding out that she had cancer. Hmm. Uh, and I spent the last you know week with her pretty much at her bedside 24 mm. seven. And I remember the hardest day when I realized we were losing her. And I thought, can this work even now? And I and, and it's almost embarrassing to admit, but I, I started reading this chapter on the control thief in my own book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, but not so much because I wanted to kind of prove anything to myself. I just thought, can, can it help me now? That's right. And I realized, yeah, in this moment, I can't change my mother dying. I would love to have her for another five or ten years. Uh, but I can surrender to this moment with curiosity. That's one of the things I talk mm-hmm. about in the book. I can surrender to this moment with curiosity. And so I asked, I wonder what I can learn and experience in these last, you know, mm-hmm. 24, 48 hours of her life. And it was a beautiful, but though painful, 24 to 48 hours because... I, I surrendered with curiosity even in that moment. So I can attest personally this can work even in the most difficult. And I think we'll all agree losing someone you love, of one of the most difficult things we'll face in our lives. It, that, that is reality and that is the truth. And, you know, traffic jam in the, in the big picture of things, it's, it's really a small thing. Being late to, to get home for dinner or to catch a game or to meet your friends, it's very small. But losing people, losing your job, uh, losing your house, um, losing certain members of your family, that is that is the tough stuff in life. And that's when things hit you hard. And again, I, it's one of those things that Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, I've said this probably, I don't know, almost every episode in the past couple months. But when you start facing those difficult times, Again, just as John says, you have to have those mantras in place. And you all know my mantra, right? It's not a setback. It's a set up for something greater. And people ask me, they say, well, how can you say that when things are going wrong? How can you say that when, you know, family members are passing away or when you lost your job, when, you, when, when, when I'm going bankrupt and all these different things? 
I'm saying because you have to work at it. What's the setup in here? Don't just focus on the setback because that's not going to do you any good, right? You accept the fact that this is happening, but it's up to you to try to find the silver lining, so to speak. What's the setup in here? What's the lesson for me to learn? What is in this situation that's going to help me grow, that's going to teach me something? What is it in here? And that's exactly what you're saying there, John. And and I truly love that. And again, this is not something that comes naturally. It is something we have to work at. And um, it's something very important I think all of us have to do as we go through life. We face these difficulties and we have to prepare ourselves with these techniques. And I truly love that, John. Absolutely love that. And we could sit here and talk about each of these each of these thieves one by one in, in great detail. And I, and I would love to, but I do promise Cut the Crap Podcast Nation that I keep these 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 interviews fairly condensed. So I'd like to go to Golden Nugget number two now, but... Or sorry, golden nugget number three now. And golden nugget number three says that the second thief says that conceit, this bandit, likes to pump up your ego. It likes to make you feel like the world's most important person. But this thief, conceit, it wants you to forget your fellow human beings and focus only on your needs, your own wants, and your own desires. So this thing called conceit is very dangerous. Maybe talk to us a little bit about this one. Yeah, so conceit is really the... uh the uh, belief that the, that the world revolves uh, around me. Uh, it is kind of this intense focus on the self. Mm-hmm. I often think, Ryan, when, when, uh, when we're young, we're told something that's actually incredibly dysfunctional in a way, but we meet, people mean it to be like, uh, helpful. They say the great task of life is to find yourself. Well, the interesting thing is, like, all the great spiritual traditions say the opposite. The great task of life is to lose yourself, right. to lose yourself in something more important to you, to lose yourself in the bigger conversation, to, uh, to you know, really uh, lose yourself in a focus outside of yourself. And I, I, here's a challenge for the listeners to think about. Have your happiest moments in your life been when you've been sitting around thinking about your happiness, yourself? Or are your happiest moments in your life when you were caught up in something? Hmm. It could be caught up in a sport, caught up in helping someone, caught up in a cause, caught up in a book you had to write, caught up in a mission in your business that you, you know, you're an entrepreneur that you wanted to bring to life in the world. So all of us, again, know intuitively that when we're focused outside of ourselves, we actually are happier. And of course, one of the great spiritual truths is that that this small self uh, is, is, is mortal, it's ephemeral, uh, you know, everything we ever achieve for ourselves will, will eventually be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. But everything we give to the world will actually grow and be recycled. Hmm. And I had a wonderful moment on the Camino. Uh, uh, I know people often learn through stories. There's, on the height of the Camino, there's one place, it's the highest point in the Camino, where the idea is you bring a rock of something that you want to leave behind, that you brought from home, something that spiritually, emotionally, psychologically is burdening you in some way. And I brought a rock, and when I came to that, I knew, by the way, what I wanted to leave behind. I wanted to leave behind my need to be great. Hmm. I need to be different. And all my life, you know, and this is one reason I had to go on this sabbatical journey, because as successful as I was, it was never enough. I always, Mm. you know, wanted more, and I wanted to give up my need to be great. And when you come to this place in the Camino, there are literally thousands of rocks, Ryan, that have been left over like 1,200 years. You can imagine this, right? And and some people have put like a a, a colorful stone or a note on their stone, by the way, which is now 
blown away from their stones. So they want their stone to stand out. Right. And I realized when I came to that moment that there were two two reactions you could have when you came to that place in the Camino. One was, wow, how unimportant and insignificant I am, my small little ego. Or, look, I'm a part of this really big conversation that all these hum- every human being takes for thousands of years, all trying to make the world a better place, trying to make the lives of our children and the next generation better than the one before. And if I could join that conversation and stop worrying so much about myself, I might be happier. And I can tell you, Ryan, from the moment I put that stone down, not like magic, hmm. you have to work at it. I have found a, 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 a desire to serve more deeply, to be just a pilgrim on the journey, letting go of the self. So it turns out the great task of life, if you want happiness, is to lose yourself, mm. not to find yourself. And this That's is right. a great uh, mystery to most people. But when you try it, you begin to realize that serving, getting caught up in something, is the source of happiness, not this intense focus on the ego and the self. That's right. And that's the challenge I find today too, John, is that with with social media and, and Instagram and all this stuff, you know, it's it's very self-centered. It's focused on me, 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 me. And the key, one of the things that you said in the book that I really loved is that acts of kindness are far greater sources of happiness than self-centered behaviors. And I find that unfortunately uh, a lot of people are growing up and we all grow up in a society and I see, you know, my nieces and my nephews growing up in high school and junior high and you know, it's all about their Instagram and how many likes they have. And, and, and they become very, very much fulfilled or, or taken over by this thief. But conceit can be very dangerous because conceit can also be very, in the short term, very satisfying, right? Oh, people love me. This is great. But in the long term, it, it's almost very hollow. And so what do you say to the people out there who, you know, the parents out there or the people out there who have been completely obsessed with social media, their presence on social media is what they care about. What do you say to those people? Well, you know, it's fascinating you mentioned that because we may not get to, because to, I know we'll run out of time because so many great things to talk about. We may not get <laughs> to, the, uh, to, to, to all the thieves. But, you know, um, one of the interesting things about social media, and it really fits in just what you said, fascinating research about happiness in social media. It turns out people who are on social media mostly kind of, you know, trying to look good and compare themselves with others. How many likes did I get? You know, how many kind of, you know, uh, shares did I get? That people who are on social media mostly to promote the self and what's happening in their life, it actually makes them less happy. There's research around right. that. But people who focus on social media, on making others happy, sharing things that other people are doing, liking things that other people are doing, complimenting things that other people are doing, these people actually get more happiness because of being on social media. Right. So isn't it funny that we go on there to promote <laughs> the self, but, but it makes us less happy, and why? two reasons. One is because the focus on the self never brings happiness. Second, because we wind up comparing ourselves, you know, which is another one of the thieves. You know, we wind up comparing ourselves with with others. Uh, and, and of course, there's always going to be somebody with more likes and more mm-hmm. shares and, you know, more friends than, than we have. And, le- and people may wonder, how do you work on the thief of conceit? And here's a simple way that I do it in my life. When you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what can I give the world today? Hmm. What do I want to give the world today? And it might be, you know, I'm going to have this meeting today, and I know this guy's been discouraged, so I want to give him encouragement. You yes. know, I'm going to be doing this today, and I want, what, what do you want to give the world today? And here's something for people, important for people to remember. 
We have 100% control over what we give the world every day. We have almost 0% control over what the world gives us. Mm. We have no control over whether our wife or partner is nice to us, 100% control over whether we are compassionate and loving to them. We have 0% control over, you know, our colleagues, what, how they're going to show up today. We have 100% control over how we show up. Right. So conceit is also uh, very destructive because we can't control what the world gives us, but we sure as heck can control what we give it. So a happy person will always wake up in the morning and ask, I wonder what I can give the world mm-hmm. today. And it's a great little discipline to get used to doing when you wake up, including those you love the most. What can right. I give them? Because remember, they're not here just as, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. actors in your movie. They have a movie of their own. That's right. And if you can add value to their movie, you'll probably be a much happier person. Oh, what a strong takeaway. Strong takeaway. I absolutely love that, John. Love that. Golden nugget number four, which is the third thief, coveting. So nothing is inherently wrong or, or, or bad about wanting things in life that you don't already have. But the problem here is that with coveting, it means that you become almost envious of other people and you harbor resentment because you may not be as wealthy as them. You may not be as good looking as them, or you might not be as socially prominent as them. Talk about social media, for example. So this idea of coveting can be very dangerous. So John, lead us through this third thief, coveting. Yeah. And we started to hint at it a little bit a while ago on social media, Mm -hmm. right? Which is a great example of that. So coveting is really uh, when we begin to think that happiness is about comparison. Happiness is about, you know, how I compare with others. And this is so hardwired into our culture, you know, this idea of how do you rank? How do you rate? And of course, this thief is very uh, insidious because there's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve more things or to, you know, have more friends or to have more wealth or to have more success in however you define success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's when you begin to judge your happiness by how you compare with others that you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. I remember early in my career, one of my mentors said to me, John, I want you to remember this. No matter how successful you become you will always find yourself feeling like a chihuahua in a room full of St. Bernard's. (laughs) And I didn't really get what he meant, but here's what he meant. So before I wrote books, I compared myself with people who had written books. I said, oh, you know, I'd be happy if only I wrote a book. Mm. Then I wrote a book and, you know, uh, and, but it wasn't a bestseller, right? Right. And then I suddenly started comparing myself with people who had bestsellers. Mm. Then I wrote a bestseller, but then I started comparing myself with people who had more bestsellers or bigger bestsellers. (laughs) I love Barbara Kingsolver. The first time her book was on the New York Times bestseller list, she called up her best friend and she said, Jackie, you can't believe it. My book is on the, the New York Times bestseller list. And guess what? She, the first thing her friend said to her, Barbara, that's great, but what number are you? Oh, and that's gosh. an example of the thief of coveting, right? Like, because there, you, there will always be someone more good looking, with more that's friends, right. with more success, with more wealth. Your happiness has to be about you living the life you came here to live and doing the best that you can possibly do. I'm a tennis player, right? I'm a good tennis player, but I'm not a great tennis player, and I never will be, no matter how hard I work. I will never be a great tennis player. So if my happiness is going to be how I compare with other tennis players, I will never love tennis. But I love tennis because I I, I do the best that I can be, the best player I can be, and that's the source of my happiness, right? right. Uh, And so I think this is a very important thief because, as Barbara Kingsolver found, there will always be someone bigger, better, Mm -hmm. more beautiful, more friends, 
more bestsellers than mm-hmm. you have, more podcast downloads. Mm-hmm. And if your happiness comes from comparison, you're really going to be in trouble. Amen, man. Amen. That's a great, great, great point there. And I absolutely love that. And again, this is something where people maybe they get a little bit confused and they say, well, John, Ryan, are you guys telling me that I have to? I have to settle? I have to settle for what I have? And that's what it is? Not at all. It's not, I don't think that's what we're saying here. What we're saying is not settling, but it's being grateful. It's exercising gratitude, being grateful for what uh, you yeah. have, right? And, and, and striving yeah. for more, striving for betterment. Is that, that correct? Exactly. Oh, totally. And I talk a lot in the book about some disciplines around gratitude. And there's so much research now about people who focus on gratitude are happier and more resilient and have better immune systems. Mm-hmm. And, and again, remember my key phrases. It's intention without tension. Uh, it's intention without attachment. Nothing wrong with goals, nothing wrong with aspirations, but it's the tension that we attach to it. You know, the feeling if I don't achieve it, if I don't do this, I won't be happy. No, no. Happiness is an internal construct. It's almost like now go back to number one. All (laughs) internal suffering is resistance to whatever's happening. So you have it's actually it's a circular. But at the end of the day, yeah, you you don't have to kind of surrender all your goals and aspirations. But you have to surrender to the internal choice to be happy amidst all of those things. That's exactly right. Golden nugget number five, which is the fourth thief, consumption. So now this thief, it constantly tells you that you'll be happy if and when you achieve or attain X. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound like it's bad, but the underlying and perhaps maybe the more sinister message here is that you can attain happiness only through getting or buying something only through external means, which can be very, very dangerous. So, John, maybe talk to us a little bit in brief about um, consumption. Yeah, I'm going to make it as, as simple as I can. We, we often think this is just about things or, you know, uh, achievements. It's not. It's the belief that happiness is outside of yourself. Here's the simple thing I want. The, 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 and if you read the book, you get to go a lot deeper in it. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. At any moment, you can choose to be happy. Now, here's what I find. People have resistance to that idea. No, 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 John. But no, 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 no. At any moment, you can choose to be happy. The moment you realize that happiness is an internal choice to be content and grateful in any moment, that's when you realize you're on the path. So consumption is bigger than just things. It's the belief that happiness is attached to anything outside of myself other than the internal choice. To be content. I, I, I meditate uh, every day, and I have a little mantra I've developed for myself. And the first words I say at the beginning of my meditation every day is, I choose contentment. Now, notice I use the word contentment even more than happiness. I choose contentment. In other words, I choose to be all day long, no matter what's happening, I want to choose to be grateful, choose to be content, because I realize it's an internal construct. And again, you have to train yourself to realize that anytime you're unhappy, you realize, I actually have the choice to right. choose contentment in this moment. Not happiness, happiness, ha-ha, <laughs> contentment. I choose to be grateful. Again, when my mother was dying, of course I didn't want her to die. I chose to surrender with curiosity and be grateful for the life I'd had with her, grateful what a wonderful mother she was, grateful for the lessons I was learning about myself, grateful to watch my oldest daughter go through uh, those final breaths with me with my mother mm. i chose to be content not happy i chose to be content not to be in a place of angst and resistance and again 
once you train your mind, but it's, but it begins with realizing it isn't out there. That's the myth. That's the that's the myth. Happiness is out there. It's out there in this person I might meet, a job I might get. No, no, happiness is inside of you all the time. The question is, are you going to choose to go there? Then these other things, they're still important, but that's not the source of happiness. That's exactly right. And I love that word, contentment. You know, living in the moment, accepting accepting your circumstances or situation, and finding peace and and not being unhappy. I truly love that. It's a word that we don't hear enough, or a word that maybe we don't think about too much. But I'm glad you you use that word in the book, and I'm glad you brought it up here because it's it is an important word, especially in relation to um, this fourth thief consumption. The training. I'm training my mind. I I make the point mm-hmm. in the book that training your mind for happiness is like going to the gym. At first it hurts. You don't even want to go. (laughs) But if you work at it, if you do the mantras every day, right, if you train yourself in the moment to come back to places each time, each of these thieves show up, that's how you train your mind. And then sooner or later, you got the muscles of happiness. And also it doesn't hurt anymore. You want to get up in the morning and go there. So in golden nugget number six, which is the fifth thief, we have the last one, comfort. So talk to us a little bit about this idea of comfort and it being a thief. Yeah, people go, now, John and Ryan, you have gone too far. Now, I can't even be comfortable, right? Comfort is a thief. (laughs) Well, here's what I mean by comfort. Comfort is this part of us that wants to stay stuck in whatever routine that we're in. Now, there's two really interesting sides around this thief of comfort. The first is that we know that the human brain is hardwired for newness. People often say we resist, the human beings resist change, but it turns out every time you meet a new person, have a new experience, see a new city, uh, your brain gives you a shot of happy chemicals, dopamine and, and other things, kind of almost like an internal drug. Uh, that brings you happiness. So, in fact, we are actually hardwired to enjoy change, to enjoy new experiences, even though we resist the breaking up of habits. So part of the, 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 the comfort robs us of happiness when we, when we wind up just staying in a routine that isn't bringing us happiness, but, but it's just comfortable. So we stay there. So instead of having new experiences. But the other way is often there's a pattern in our life that we get into that maybe worked for us at one time in our life, but now we need to let it go. Mm -hmm. And two examples I use in the book uh, is uh, uh, a friend of mine who had a father who had mental illness. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard because you imagine you're a young child, now you have to take care of your father when it's supposed to be the other way around, right? And by the way, he's a great guy, a gifted physician, Uh, But now whenever somebody needs him too much, a friend or something, he kind of turns the knob off, right? Mm. Because he's very sensitive to people needing too much from him. But the interesting thing is that worked for him as a as a young person because his father shouldn't have needed all that stuff from him, right? He, He needed his father to be there for him. But now that pattern is translated into other people in his life now. And it becomes a source of unhappiness. It doesn't work anymore. And another example is that person who grew up in a home where fighting led to really bad right. things. Mm-hmm. So they began to believe that fighting was bad, whereas we know that in you know having healthy disagreements and working them through in a relationship is actually a source of marital success, That's not right. failure. And so every time there's a disagreement, they think the world is going to fall apart. But that pattern is no longer true. So it's really, Ryan, about challenging the different patterns in our life Mm -hmm. 
that have kind of led us to unhappiness uh, maybe worked for us at one time, but they don't work for us anymore. This is the hardest one to understand in a podcast, but it's a really important one, actually, for many people. Absolutely. And it's a big one, too. And the fact that there's a balance. We love to have comfort, but comfort can also be a killer for us. And, you know, you mentioned a great example there about uh, about conflict, for example, where uh, a lot of people are comfortable with not having conflict. And we had Patrick Lencioni on the show a number of weeks ago talking about uh, the five dysfunctions of a team. And the second dysfunction is the fear of conflict and that, you know, people don't like to have conflict on teams. And they believe that conflict is bad. Well, if you shift your perspective a little bit, you'll realize that no, conflict is good. There's nothing wrong with conflict as long as if it comes from a base of trust. But for a lot of people, when they heard that, they're like, come on, conflict is a good thing? No way. I'm shying away from that one. And yet he has all these studies that show that teams that have this conflict, this this conflict that's based in trust, they get more done. They get through problems faster. They have stronger teams as a result. And that's because they get over this idea of being comfortable and avoiding certain discussions. And that's just one very small example of this idea of comfort. And you you go into so many different examples of what comfort means. And I, I truly love that. The last golden nugget here, John, I want to talk to you very briefly about this one. Golden nugget number seven and this idea of notice, stop, and replace. So lead us through the importance of notice, stop, and replace and, and why this is in the book. Yeah, so people, you know, uh, first of all, I... So many times you read a book and you think this is great. I have the, you know, I, I I don't want these thieves in my life. But but we don't tell you how to do it. Mm. Uh, and often we need these little disciplines to uh, really uh, take us to a different place. So in the book I have two things. One is I have these five mantras, which are an alternative way of thinking, very simple to remember. And then this simple model, which is how do you get the thief out of your house? And let's use that analogy. So first of all, you realize the thief is here. Let's use a real example. So you're on Facebook. You notice your friend got more likes than you did to their vacation photos. And you realize the thief of coveting is now in the room, inside your room, unfortunately, the sacred room of your uh, internal brain. So now you have a choice, first of all, to notice that thief, to see it for what it is. You can't really, a thief can't rob you once you unmask him or her. And so you say, you know, you're not my friend. Uh, I'm not going to have happiness if my happiness comes from comparison. So now I have a choice. The first thought, by the way, is natural. Sometimes until you train your mind, that thief's going to show up. But now I'm going to notice. I see you. And now I'm going to stop you. No, no, stop. Stop. You're not a source of happiness. Comparing my likes to my friend's likes is not going to make me happy. It's going to make me unhappy. Now I have to replace it with something else. Uh, And so the mantras are a replacement thought that you bring into your mind. You know, my happiness is not, you know, uh, from comparison to others, but is by being my truest self. Right. And you also then think of then you can also in that moment think of the uh, the thief uh, uh, around conceit and say, well, actually, happiness comes from service. Not only am I going to like my friend's photos, I'm going to share them and encourage other people to like them. And I actually suddenly now find myself happy. So it's a very simple model. Notice the thief when they show up. Stop them. At least stop them. Even if you can't replace it, stop them. Say, no, you're not my friend. (laughs) Uh, And then replace it with the mantra, with the alternative way of thinking. In the case of control, I'm going to surrender with curiosity to this moment. What can happen in this traffic jam now that's good? What can happen in this moment when my mother is dying? 
that might be an enduring lesson of joy and hope for me. I'm good. So you, you get the idea. Notice, right. but the first, it always begins with unmasking the thief. The thief is not my friend. They mm-hmm. appear to be my friend, but they're not. So I'm going to stop them. Uh, it's kind of like a friend of mine says about self-pity. It's okay to go to Pity City, but you don't want to buy a condo there. So many of us, what we do in our lives is these thieves show up and we indulge them. We make Mm. bedrooms for them. We make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them. The first thing, we have to stop them. And then we've got to replace them with a more positive, productive thought pattern. And that's what the mantras are in the book, the alternative. One, One reader sent me as a little meditation altar he uses every day. And he has the mantras there. So in the hmm. morning when he meditates, he goes through the five mantras. And he said it's been incredibly helpful to have those right at the ready. So during hmm. the day when the thief shows up, he knows what awesome. to replace it with. Awesome. What a great idea. What a great idea. The Five Thieves of Happiness by John Izzo. Now, John, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I really hope that all of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation took some notes on this one. And I encourage all of you to go out and pick up this book. It's, it's, to me, it's essential reading. It's essential reading because we need to guard the door of our minds very carefully. And these five thieves are very important, and we don't think about them too much. And to me, this is essential reading because I think this, this will create better human beings, better people, better family members, better team members. And it's foundational reading. And to me, it was just such a, a surprise picking up the book. I, I read a book a week, and I read this one twice, actually, because it, there were just so many good aspects mm. to it. And I, I have books in my life that I do that, and, and I'm not saying that because you're on the show, John. Like I, I interview people all the time, and I don't tell them this because I'll read a book once, and I think I'm good now. But <laughs> right. I've, I've read this book twice again already, and I think I'm going to read this one more often than not because there's just a lot of different pieces from this book that we can take away that might be perhaps a little bit more applicable depending on where we're at in life in this month, in this week, in this year, wherever we are. But um, John, again, this was a fantastic book. I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad that you had those experiences and that you were able to come on the show and share all those experiences with us. So thank you so much, John. Really, really appreciate you coming on. For anybody who wants to reach out to you, connect with you, um, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, just the easiest way is to go to my website, drjohnizzo.com. That's just D-R-J-O-H-N-I-Z-Z-O or I-Z-Z-O, uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, uh, www.drjohnizzo.com. And that's the easiest way about my books and about my work and, and, and lots of blogs and stuff for awesome. you to find as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, John, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a true pleasure having you on. And Thank you so much for making time for myself and for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, and thanks for you for your great work. Uh, Keep it up. Thank you, sir. All right, there we have it. That's John Izzo's The Five Thieves of Happiness. I hope you enjoyed this book. Like I said at the very beginning, the best thing you can do with a book like this is to share it with the people that you love. Please do the people in your network a favor and share this summary with them. Share a link to this episode with them because I have a feeling it's going to impact a lot of people's lives and you don't know the effect that it could have. It might be exactly what somebody needed at the right time. If you love this episode, then please don't forget to leave a rating and review for this one. And every single quarter, I'll make sure you get entered into a draw for a prize. Also, don't forget to connect me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you want to see what I'm doing throughout the week, then connect with me on there. And also, obviously, you can have conversations with me there as well. And don't forget also your summaries. Go to cutthecrappodcast.com. At the very top, you'll see summaries. Sign up for that, and I'll send those out in July. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. So I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I certainly did. 
and uh, it gives me a lot to think about. And uh, again, I'm going to share this, continue to share this with my network because I know it's going to have a really strong impact for a lot of people. So please send it out there. And uh, again, let's just keep getting the good word out there. But as usual, my friends, I will be back here next week. We have a brand new book, brand new golden nuggets, interview with an author. And of course, every single week, you know what I'm doing here. Trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all. There's a great feeling in these overcoming these difficult things because life is never this just constant state of I'm at a nine all day and when I'm with my wife, I hit 10. Yay, and I stay like that. That's not real. What's real is like you saying that you went to this monastery and felt all this this angst about meditating and being alone and not having your phone and not having the input, but then when it comes out of it, then you have this reward. So you you push through this and you had these uncomfortable feelings and you came out of those uncomfortable feelings with this newfound appreciation for time and this newfound this respect for your own existence in your own space and carving out three hours for yourself a day. That's where it all comes from. It all comes from life lessons and the lessons are learned through struggle. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that think somehow or another you're gonna to get to some place where you're living in silk sheets and you're getting your toes done while someone's dropping grapes into your mouth. I don't want that. I've never wanted that. That guy's not going to be happy. He's going to be bored an hour into the grapes. You're going to get those fucking grapes away from me. Stop painting my toes. What am I doing in this bed? I got to do something. I'm not stimulated. The human organism, the animal that we are, needs constant stimulation because it evolved trying to find food and escape enemies and find shelter, escape nature, escape the elements, try to survive, and this is the great joy that you have in taking care of your children, that you can protect your children from the elements and the enemies and feed them, and, and it's also the great sadness that you see in losers. When I see a loser, I see some guy who's 43 years old, lives in his parents' basement, and he fucking hates the world. I'm like, that was a baby. Man, this is a baby that somebody just gave shitty nutrients to, whether it's f nutrients in the forms of food or in the form of thoughts and ideas and examples. And this kid developed these horrible, self-defeating patterns of behavior that have led them to this point where they're this this middle-aged person with no future and no idea of how to get out of this rut and probably never will escape it and might just wind up sucking on a gun. You know, I mean, this is, this is the world that we live in today. And I think part of that world is because we have been fed this line of horseshit that you're supposed to seek comfort. And I don't think you are. I think you're supposed to seek lessons and you're supposed to seek difficult tasks and, 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 and accomplishments. And through those things and through doing things that are hard to do, even if it's just a fucking 90-minute hot yoga class, I do a 90-minute yoga class, man. I, those last 20 minutes, I do not want to be there, man. And I definitely don't want to give 100%. And I can cheat. 
I can I can kind of half-ass it. I can I can, but if I don't and I get through it, when that time is up and the lady says namaste and everybody gets up, I'm like fuck, man, I made it. You know, I lost 15 pounds. My fucking yoga mat is drenched to the point where I could literally wring it out, fill up a, a jug up with water. But through that struggle, I will now have a better day, and I better fucking do it again tomorrow, or do something else, because if I just think, well, tomorrow I'm just gonna coast and eat Twinkies and watch TV, oh, hello, sadness, my old friend, hello, depression, because when you're not doing anything, you feel like shit, and that's just part of being a human being, and we can pretend that we're something other than what we really are, and we can pretend, nah, me, man, I'm just cool, just chilling, doing nothing, bullshit, you're a fucking human, you're a human being, you, you evolved from the fucking hundreds of thousands of years of hunters and gatherers and people that were struggling those re human reward systems are carved deeply into your DNA and if you don't respect that if you don't respect the mechanism of happiness and fulfillment and what you really need to do in order to feel satisfied in life camaraderie love family friendship struggle testing yourself learning all those things are imperative they're all a giant part of being a person you know, and also like little improvements over things. That's why doing difficult things is good, whether it's running. So like if you're running and you run, you could run two miles and then one day you get it up to three. It's like, fuck, I remember when I struggled with two. Now I can do four little improvements. You know, and you, you really see that in yoga class in, in particular for me because I'm not good at it. You know, so when I do a yoga class and I can hold a pose, until the you know you're holding these poses for a minute and if you could stand on one foot grabbing your other foot and lifting it above your head and keep your arm out straight and your balance and your foot's on fire and your core is engaged but if you can get to the point where they say stop you 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 feel like wow I didn't used to be able to do that I used to be able to hold it for 10 seconds and then I would fall down and then I have to start all over again and start from scratch there's little improvements when you feel yourself getting a little better at something, whether it's jujitsu or anything else. There's little improvements, I think, are what life is all about. And I think also they're, they're a tool to feed the mind. Because I really believe the mind needs these little lessons. The mind needs these little, these little tasks. And if you, your brain doesn't get that, I think it atrophies and it gets depressed. And it's like, it's like, I think that's half of what a lot of people's sadness is, is this lack of stimulation and reward, lack of these peaks and valleys. And this, again, this bullshit idea that we're constantly fed that you should be comfortable.